Welcome to this week's CoinGeek Conversation, in which I'm talking to the newly appointed Bitcoin Association Manager for Japan and South Korea, Jerry Chan. Jerry took up his new role in August this year, having previously been Head of Blockchain Strategic Initiatives at SBI Group, the financial technology conglomerate in Japan. Our conversation was recorded at the last CoinGeek conference a couple of months before Jerry left SBI. And we talked about the prospects for Bitcoin and Bitcoin SV in particular, which, as you might guess from his move to the Bitcoin Association, Jerry is extremely bullish about. So please enjoy, as I did, meeting Jerry Chan. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Most recently, I think because of the the growing up of Bitcoin, um, a lot of the proponents in the space, especially in the Bitcoin SV space, are talking more towards working with regulators, working within existing laws and, and institutions. And, and I think that's why very, you know, in the last year or so, we are seeing a lot more sort of uh, interest uh, because uh, it, it ceased to be more of a you know, anarchist or revolutionary movement, more like to some of very, very big um, uh, development that everybody can use. Um, but, um, you know, if we were to step back just even five years, like when I, when I quit uh, JP Morgan, I went out to do, you know, Bitcoin stuff on, on my own. Um, there was a, the movement was very grassroots and it was very much just, you know, um, uh, people who understood the technology wanted to do something and it was a lot of very startup kind of energy. And at that point in time, it, you know, institutions were just completely ignoring Bitcoin because they thought what a lot of other people thought was just it was this sort of uh, a, uh, silly internet money. Hmm. It wasn't really real. And you, you still see the uh, sort of vestiges of this um, attitude from, uh, from folks at JP Morgan and Jimmy Dimon making a lot of comments that Bitcoin's not going to go anywhere. And this, a lot of that, that sort of commentary was floating around in the space from 2014 to, to right up till almost just, you know, maybe just last year, 2018, you're starting to see a lot of institutions starting to turn on. So um, I was lucky enough to basically be there from that, through that whole transition. And, and it's, really, it's, it's really something that uh, it's beautiful to watch. And it's almost like it couldn't have happened any other way. Because did you, I mean, during those earlier mm. phases, did you personally think, well, I wonder whether maybe they're right in their doubts? You know what? I don't think I ever had. Uh, okay, no. Okay, there was a moment of pause when Mt. Gox went um, went went bankrupt. Uh, that was probably the lowest point in my com- own confidence level in the technology, because at that point in time, I was really just in it, insofar as the the trading and and the coolness factor, and I didn't understand enough about the technology to mm. really have a of base, good foundational confidence. Because even the Mt. Gox failure was not really a failure in the Bitcoin no. technology, actually, was it? No, no, and it wasn't. Um, although a lot of the media did try to spin it that way, and then they tried to blame it on the technology. But you know, I, I you know, folks who are, who understand technology thought like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Bitcoin. But uh, I did, I did also. I, the, my confidence was shaken because if something like this could happen, then then maybe what is why wouldn't we just use something more 
you know, built for institutions like private blockchains or something like that. And there's a lot of applications of, the, of the, that technology. So that's why I thought, you know, I really, it really made me wonder, um, would a decentralized public blockchain ever get off the ground if we're always going to have these type of like wildcat bankers or wildcat operations um, just collect money and lose it. But you, you overcame that moment of doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, th thankfully, um, like, that actually switched a lot of my focus from doing like uh, exchange or, you know, s sort of that, that type of um, what everybody else was doing. Speculation. To make money. Speculation based businesses to, to more focus on the, the, the sort of applications of blockchain. And, and that, um, for the next couple of years, is where I focused a lot of my energy and time. And you know, there is a lot of very useful applications of blockchains. And people have been realizing this more and more and more. And I think um, I came round circle, full circle, and to realize that a lot of these applications, while they're very useful in some cases in small closed federated circles like walled gardens sort of uh, uh, platforms, they don't reach maximum potential unless everybody's kind of using the same base layer. So that's the public versus private blockchain yes. argument, right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, there's so, room for both. And in a way, it seems like big business might be more comfortable with private blockchains right. because it feels like there's more control and so on. Yeah, and, and, and that's, they're not wrong. Um, they're not wrong. They're, uh, private blockchains uh, is easy to move your existing business model over to a private blockchain. You, you, if you if you take any sort of like Wall Street firm, they can probably name the number of major counterparties they deal with. You know, it's probably less than you know twenty or, or thirty, right? Like big firms, they they deal with each other, um, and then then you know their clients are the you know the the more retail side, right? But the big firms all you know they're not that many big firms that deal with each other, and so if if your business model is just like all my counterparties, I can count on like you know a couple of hands, then why do I need a public ledger? If we just all share the ledger, that's good enough, and and they're right, and they're right for that application, they're right, um, and so there is room for some private blockchains in those cases. But I believe that if you take one step, if you look even one step further, once, if they move all their models to you know, a lot of different private blockchains, eventually you're still going to need one big one to glue them all together, right? One public one to glue them all together. And, and I think that's kind of like the evolution of, uh, this is not like a unique idea. I think people have been sort of Maybe subconsciously thinking of this when they, you know, there's this whole sub-chain idea and, you know, like uh, uh, the chains which are based off of Bitcoin. Right, but they kind of went backwards. They kind of assumed that everybody's using Bitcoin and then build like a sub-chain off it. Um, so private blockchains are just, well, there's these private things. People will happily build a private walled garden. And then I think at some point in the future, they're going to realize, well, we're going to connect them all together. We're going to need one ledger that everybody can agree on. Yeah, so in, in, in making the case to yeah. your sort of traditional financial colleagues yeah. about the value of the public blockchain, yeah. um, do you focus on the virtues of Bitcoin SV? And, and what, why are you here at a, 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 why are you supporting SV rather than anything else? Um. You know, contrary to popular belief in it all, I, I, I'm really anti-cultism. So, you know, I, I don't, I, 
know, when I say I support SV, it's not. It's more like I support the, the technology that works, or I see that the only one that can work. And if another one works, I'll, I'll support that. Um, because from a business perspective, we just care about something that will work for us. So it's not, uh, it's not cultism or, elite, or tribalism at all. Except to the extent that if one of these yeah. options is going to work, yeah. it's going to be because everybody sort of coalesces around it, isn't it? So that it yes. does need... In a, in a sense, a kind of an element of evangelism rather than just, oh, I think I'll use this one, why don't you use that one kind of thing? I, I do suppose so, but I don't focus on the, the evangelism part. I kind of, because I, you're right, there's two aspects. You either say that if everybody, if you build it, they will come, right? If, if, if you get everybody to jump on one boat, even if the boat doesn't really float at this point in time, then just because everybody's on it, we're going to make it work, right? That's one way of thinking of it. Uh, the way I like to think of it, though, is that you know, you don't care who jumps on your boat. You just build a bloody darn solid ark, right? That's going to survive the forty years and the flood. And you don't, you don't, you don't care. You don't even send out invitations. You just build it, and then when it starts raining, people will come. They they will just flood out of the forest <laughs> and they'll run to your boat because it's the only one floating. I kind of like that model, and that's the model I sort of uh, uh, sort of live by. So it's focus on the technology. Right? Focus on the technology because uh, I, I can see why a lot of the other technologies will fail, and I can also see that people don't realize that. And you know, I, I don't really care to have to convince people. I mean, I don't think I think people learning on their own learn better. That's the way I learned. I mean, I didn't. I was never. You know, I supported uh, you know the, the Bitcoin and all like different versions of Bitcoin at different times because at the time they had the right message. They were focusing on the right things, and when they stopped focusing on those things, then you know I switched to the ones that are, are focusing on the technology that will work. And back to your reason, like why in convincing my you know more traditional financial colleagues of why Bitcoin, why a public blockchain is useful, I like to think of. Um, you know, not just one financial platform. And, and that's what usually my sort of argument for them. A public blockchain has reach beyond just one business use case. That's the big difference. A private blockchain could have a lot of uses within a small group of companies to do a lot of sort of things. But once you go beyond that group, you're going to need some intermediary. You're going to need some medium by which you can communicate with another group halfway around the world, right? Um, that may be in another industry, another business. And when you, when you realize at some point, if we're going to have a global economy, you're going to need to do this, this type of bilateral communication, then what, are you going to argue whose private blockchains are you going to use? Like, well, we have a private blockchain in, say, Japan or you know, Asia, and we don't talk to the one in Europe, and then we're going to need to bridge the gap. Well, now we're going to need some sort of adapters, and we're going to argue about which ones you use. You use mine, I use yours. Hmm. Well, it's, it's so much simpler if we all use one. That's, that's the argument of, like, there's only one internet. That's right. That, that's right. That's right. But the difference is I don't think we need to, you know, browbeat people in saying, like, because we're eventually going to use one, use one now. You know, I think it's totally fine that people build private blockchains now because when it comes time that they are going to want to connect, there will be a migration path. They can just plug them in. They can just plug them into the global one because as long as the global public one is there, then when it comes time that we need to communicate between blockchains which aren't connected, we'll just say like, okay, well, I'll plug my data in there, you plug your data in there, it's all in one place, and, and then we can read it from the public one. I think some people here have a more radical view in which 
we don't necessarily want Bitcoin SV to move towards a kind of accommodation with the existing financial institutions. Mm. Because, not, not for necessarily going back to what you mentioned, anarchism, not necessarily as, as radical as that, mm. but simply because the potential is much greater than financial and um, the, the use of the blockchain right. for all sorts of other purposes. I mean, yes. Craig Wright has his MetaNet vision. Yes. Um, I mean, to what extent do you go along with the idea that, you know, money is just part of the picture that we're heading for or we're hoping to develop in this area? 100% agree. I, I, I do not think that money is the only use of Bitcoin. Um, is, it the, is it the use that gets it going, though, or...? Maybe. Um, Maybe, but I, I can only say that with maybe what sixty percent uh, confidence level. Um, I, I think it definitely kickstarts things because uh, when you invent something that has intrinsic value in it, when you invent a technology which has value embedded, so you're inventing a money, right? Um, there are there's the immediate use of it is speculation, right? Like, wow, now this thing's worth some money. I'm going to buy it just so I can get rich later. I mean, you can't avoid that. There will people. People will do that, and so that's why it, it naturally becomes the first use case. And well, I it's got that. the word coin in it, hasn't it? Yeah, sort of. Uh... That's true, um, <laughs> but but it also has the word bit in it, and bit right. and bit means data. Yes. So it's it, yes. it really is. It's, true. it's, uh, it, it's a hybrid. It's it's literally a merging of data and value. And and you know people have been saying this in the past. It's not like a new message, but you know Bitcoin brings value to the internet. It brings value to data. And so I believe 100% it's, it's intrinsic value. And, and, and intrinsic value is very important if you are an economist and you, you believe in that commodities have intrinsic value. That's what makes them different from like fiat, right? Commodity money has intrinsic value. The intrinsic value is the fact that Bitcoin conveys data. Um, the data right now just happens to be an accounting of how many Bitcoins you own. But that's just the first step. It really is just the first step. Um, you, you need to be able to accommodate all sorts of data. So in the long run, mm. the value of Bitcoin as a, well, we won't even necessarily call it a currency, but whatever we call it instead of a currency, mm. will be, be because of its ability to record and communicate uh, information that is not financial. That's right. That's right. So I, I, to answer your first question, you know, I don't think uh, Bitcoin SV should cater only to financial institutions at all. And, and I don't think they are. Yeah. I think they're focusing on exactly what they should be focusing on, which is making sure the network scales and being completely agnostic to its uses. You don't need to care what people use it for. Um, but you need to have a level of transparency, but at the same time privacy, because you want to be able to filter out people using it for illegal things. Because the illegality and legality still exists whether or not we use a technology called Bitcoin or whether or not we use a technology called, you know, the Federal Reserve System or, or you know, the Internet, hmm. right? Just because we use the Internet doesn't mean all of a sudden, you know, illegal things are now illegal. I'm sure there are people who thought that back then, like, well, we have the Internet. Now we can sell anything online. Well, no, you, you can't. <laughs> I mean, I think the difficulty is that you can, you can be against illegality, which I think, you know, everybody would be yeah but 
then there's still a tension between <clears throat> the innovative opportunities right. of the blockchain and regulation. Right. Because regulation simply hasn't been invented necessarily to deal with these kinds of uh, issues. Oh, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying this is a yeah. problem that needs to be worked through and perhaps mm. people working in the, in, the, in the blockchain business need to not get too far ahead. Yeah. I don't know if I totally agree with that because I think regulation already exists that covers, um, that covers Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies in general. I just think uh, there hasn't been a practical application of the laws, but the laws are, are, you know, it's always the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, right? So I think the laws already cover most of the use cases that people are using cryptocurrencies for. It's just that because it's so new, people think, well, like, you know, the laws don't specifically say cryptocurrencies or digital assets or anything like that. They think that, oh, that means there's no law for it. No, because, you know, there, there are very, very um, well-established laws that govern money. And if you start using anything as money, it doesn't matter what that thing is, whether it's electronic coins or whether or not it's cowrie shells, you know, you're, mm. you're, you're, you're operating under those laws. It's also data laws though, isn't it? Well, that's true. Um, that's true. Although I suppose in some respects, because the individual user holds their own data, yes. you actually simplify matters in that field because you haven't got a big corporation potentially being hacked and taking yeah. responsibility for looking after my data. It's a good thing that you, you mentioned that because um, the, the data, right, ownership of data is something that, uh, it's one of the things which kind of plagues the whole internet age. And, um, increasingly. Increasingly. I mean, you, 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 I worked at Goldman. Uh, one of the big things that we were back then very worried about, about putting our data on something like the cloud, is that now you're trusting another party to hold all your data, even if it's encrypted and everything. And, and it's, it's, well, there's one half of it is trust, but the other half is, you know, regulations, right? Laws, like you're just not allowed to keep your data outside of this jurisdiction, right? So what does it mean then if you put it on the blockchain? What jurisdiction is blockchain? It, it, it is a public ledger that anybody can have a copy of. Um, so there are, there are laws that need to be clarified uh, in, in this sense, because data laws are not as old as money laws. So therefore, I think data laws need to be potentially clarified. But I do believe it's moving in the right direction, because with blockchain, you're moving in a direction where the owner of the data is the only one with the keys. So doesn't that solve already a lot of the worries about putting my data in cloud? Because the worries from a, from a corporate perspective of putting my data in cloud is that that cloud company has the keys, right? I mean, my keys are on their server and it's supposedly you know, locked by my password, but it's, it's still, it still may be on their servers, which they have you know, mastery over. It's in their data center and, and they have the keys. So I need to have a lot of um, contracts and a lot of legal guarantees that if something goes wrong and data is leaked, that they're going to be liable, yeah. right? Somebody needs to wear the liability. But if we move into an age where everybody holds their own keys and their data is on the, on the blockchain and we give people good tools to manage this, then the liability is on yourself. So, so isn't that what you want anyway? I mean, you, you, you can have full mastery of your data and the data mm. that you own. Well, I think people will notice that when they sign up for a, a Bitcoin 
based service yeah. that are not, you know, 25 pages of incomprehensible <laughs> legalese that they have to tick yes. uh, without knowing exactly what they're committing themselves to. Yes. It, it, it could really just have the slogan, you've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, very true. And, and that's something that we, we are currently working through with our you know, lawyers uh, and, and legal folks in Japan as well, is that how do we, because we're taking on all this responsibility ourselves, um, we need to develop better tools for this, right? Because they're not, uh, you know, current Bitcoin wallets just isn't at the level where a corporation can can manage all these keys. Because if we're going to basically be putting our data out there and we are the only ones who can decrypt it, then we really have to get our act together. We almost have to take a little bit of the power back from the cloud providers, right? Because mm. they have great tools for doing this. And that's why people use the cloud. But you know, we need to do key management in a way that honestly should have probably been done 20 years in the past. But you know, PGP has been around for like over 20 years. And people still don't generally use it that much because it's just very hard to manage on a personal basis. So I think we, we need to, that's what we need to focus on, I think, as an industry. What would you like to see? What practical things would you hope to be able to see if we come back in a year's time and, and you, you felt that good progress has been made, what would that consist of? I would like to see like Amazon or, or Google or a very large company, tech company, um, start to um, use the inherent value of Bitcoin. And the inherent value of Bitcoin, as I mentioned before, is this global immutable ledger of truth. Right, because I think in a very high level, the problem of the internet is that we have pockets of information, right? And and information is sort of compartmentalized into these little bubbles, and connecting these bubbles and sorting through them is 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 a lot of overhead work, inefficiency, I guess, seen from a very high level. If imagine like how much money a company spends, you know, paying for data backups, right? Paying for uh, redundancy in their data center. If you, if we all basically became, you know, Bitcoin data wardens, or you know, and and we all had this infinite Turing tape, uh, you know, memory tape that we could write into, then we just do away with simple a lot of the infrastructure that we've built to ensure the backups don't get deleted, just, you know, logs are everything is logged properly. We we have now this this almost effectively but almost free to use ticker tape. That is pretty darn hard to manipulate and to change. And when a big company realizes that this it could be, you know, they can just do away with all this infrastructure. And they just learn to trust the fact that this tape exists and it keeps on churning, you know, one block every 10 minutes and you can put whatever you want in this, these blocks, then, then it's, it's really, really powerful. I mean, but if Amazon went down that route, hmm. going back to what we were just saying about before, about the user's responsibility, would you envisage that I, as an Amazon customer, would control the data which tells me what I've ordered, what I might like, um, my account and so on? Or would 
Amazon actually keep control of that? Um, yeah, I, th I think the user, in, in, in eventuality, the user would control that. But Amazon might lose some of its ability to manipulate its algorithms to show me what it wants and stuff. It, it might not like that idea. They, they might not. That's why I had a little you know, cheeky smirk there. Uh, <laughs> um, but but is there a, maybe there's a sort of halfway house that they could take a step in that direction without completely handing over everything to the customers. I, I think there are a lot of smart folks there over there and they can probably figure out a business model that they mm. can still benefit. And, um, but if they don't, some com of their competitors will. And that's the beauty of a yeah. free market. And then they'll save money and be able to offer yes. me something cheaper. What we're really going to see is a revolutionizing of the internet monetization model. Right now, it's an ad-based click model. And I think that is going to go away. Because you, it, you, what the model, what will, what will the model is if everybody owned their own data, then you're going to have to pay me if you want my data. And I might be happily, I might be happy to sell you my data, not all of my data, because you know, if I can control what parts I, can, I, I show you, you want to see my buying habits? Okay, you pay me. Well, then you don't need ads on your website now anymore, do you? Because if you want to know what people are buying, then you pay them for it. And, and so internet e-commerce is just going to get better because people are not going to have to deal with advertisements. People are just going to sell their data directly. So the profitable business that will emerge will be the one that facilitates me as a user yes. being able to buy and sell my data, right? Or filtering data, searching for data, mm -hmm. because you want to be able to sell your data in an uh, anonymous, anonymous way, or maybe pseudonymous, yes. but, but um, because you don't want any personal information to be leaked. But, you know, I, I'm probably happy to sell you know, my Amazon buying wish list stuff if anybody wanted to buy it, as long as there's no information tying back to me personally. But as long as I can do that in an automated way where, you know, people buying it just sort of like, you know, like it's passing like the, uh, the tithe collection jar in church. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, it's, you know, if people want to pay for my data, they drop a coin and, and at the end of the day, I see how much I've collected. That's wonderful. I, I would rather use that system than, you know, surf a, a website that has all these ads that I have to like filter through myself. Like I'm the filter, um, exactly. you know, where, where, where the companies will get paid to filter and then, you know, pay and then present that data to the Amazons and present that data to the, to, the, uh, to the stores that want to pay for that in bulk. I think that's, that's the model we're going to move towards. It sounds like a fairer world, really. It does. Bitcoin <laughs> makes the world fair. It doesn't, doesn't overthrow anything. It just makes it much more fair. Yeah. Jerry, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank you very you. much. My thanks to Jerry Chan. And good luck in your new role at the Bitcoin Association, Jerry. Please join me, Charles Miller, for another CoinGeek conversation next week.